Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Drop the Mic. I'm your host, Darren Jenkins. Joining me on today's show, Dr. Lippy Roy, a physician board certified in addiction medicine, a media personality, YouTube host, and founder of a health speaking company, Cinemed. Dr. Roy, thank you for coming on the show today. And it's so lovely to be with you. It's been such a long time. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, you know, um, your introduction says it all. You you are a person of many, um, many things, and uh, which I think is fantastic, by the way. Um, Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, what, and then what inspired you to pursue a career in medicine and public health? Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much, Darren. It's so lovely to talk to you. I love just sharing stories and hearing stories. So thank you for creating this platform where fascinating people get to really share their stories. Uh, I, I think I've been really, really blessed to have the mm. life that I've had. If you at, if you told me um, 10 years ago, heck, even five years ago, that, oh, all right, Lippy, this is going to be your path. This is what you'll be doing. You'll have worked at Rikers Island, one of the most notorious jails in the world. You will have oh. gone at Harvard Medical School. You will have gone to Haiti to help earthquake. I would have said you were cray-cray. There's just... <laughs> No way, right? Um, but yeah, for your listeners, uh, you they can't see this, but you can. I was born and raised in Toronto, so I've got a Toronto Maple Leaf. Oh, you're from Toronto. Oh, okay. On my phone. A lot of my friends feel like I have it tattooed on my forehead. So yes, stereotypes <laughs> are true. Stereotypes is a Canadian hockey fan, of course. Um, so yeah, born and raised in Toronto to Indian immigrant parents. So my parents emigrated from India to Toronto, Canada. Like, God, I don't know, 1960s, 70s Canada. Uh, mm. yeah. So, yeah. And then um, really spent the first 20, 25 years in, in Toronto, in Canada. Got to go to India frequently to visit my um, parents' relatives. And uh, it was um, really lovely to, you know, experience an, a, a culture very different from uh, the one I was raised in, in Canada. Uh, and then I my first job in the U.S., I got rec uh, recruited right after I finished graduate school at University of Toronto, and I was working for a big pharma, AstraZeneca, doing oh. neurobiology research, cancer research. And um, after a few years, I was kind of itching to go back to school. And one year, we um, I presented my neuroscience data at the Society for Neuroscience in New Orleans. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm, this is a kind of interesting city. I did some research, and Tulane University had a four-year MD and MPH program. I applied, I got in, and it completely changed the trajectory of my career. Um, mm -hmm. I was also there, like, as if med school isn't kind of challenging and tough enough. On top of that, I evacuated from Hurricane Katrina. Um, oh, wow. Tulane Med School was flooded. We evacuated to Houston, Texas, and then nine months later came back to a very different New Orleans, did a lot of volunteer work, working in grassroots clinics, and... Um, I graduated on time, and uh, and then um, I, I did internal medicine residency at Duke in in North Carolina. I did that for three years, and uh, and then started working as a primary care doctor in Boston. So after seven years of training in the South, it was kind of hard to visit your family in Canada when you're working eighty to a hundred hours a week. So I wanted to find a a job that was closer to Toronto. So I was looking 
Boston, New York, Chicago, anything like an hour flight. So I got a job in, um, as a primary care doctor to Boston's homeless population. I got to see patients at Mass, Mass General Hospital and teach mm-hmm. at Harvard. So it wasn't a bad first gig right out of residency. So no, not at all. <laughs> did that for five years. And uh, the we learned back in 2013, like about a year into my job, that the leading cause of death amongst Boston's homeless population was drug overdose. And that's how I kind of fell into addiction medicine. And um, I was doing some media work at that time. And a lot of my, a few of my colleagues at Harvard and MGH, they're like, Lippy, if you're really serious about the medicine and media angle, you need to move to New York. So I came to New York in 2016. And uh, you know, my first job actually in New York was a uh, chief of addiction medicine for New York City jails, including Rikers Island. And, wow. uh, you know, I give a lot of talks uh, around the country, around the world now. And uh, the, the, the slide where I talk about Rikers, it's titled, Everything I Know About Rikers, I Learned from Years and Years and Years of, and then I put up two pictures of, of Law and Order, of watching Law and Order. <laughs> You know, so and the audience just laughs at my corny, dorky joke. But I quickly follow it up by saying, uh, you know, I learned two lessons very quickly. One is um, there's no D.A. Jack McCoy who's going to swoop in and save the day. Hmm. Um, and the second lesson I learned is if that if you weren't traumatized you, before you got to Rikers, you sure as hell will be once you get there. Um, mm. There were uh, black and brown, there for minor nonviolent drug possession. Many of them had drug use uh, problems. They just should not have been in a correctional uh, facility. They should have been in a medical addiction, mental health facility. So anyway, and uh, yeah, now I um, I just launched a company two months ago called CETA Med. It stands for Strength and Inspiration in Trauma and Addiction Using Mindfulness, Empathy, and Delight. So um, I'm just, it's just... Hmm something where I'm speaking kind of all over addressing a lot of the issues that we're dealing with today. So that's the the short answer. Wow. I mean, um, you're probably the first person I know who's ever worked at Rikers Island. Um, Yeah. I have no shortage of stories there. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, I was, um, I was on another podcast earlier today and we were talking about, um, we were kind of talking about different, like like men like men and their like challenges and part of the challenges of is when they come from broken environments and how it can manifest itself into different um uh person per, uh def- personality or person defeating uh situations like drugs and, and alcohol and, yeah. and 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 such and so we were talking about you know you know the the mental part of kind of trying to help somebody overcome that. Um, We often hear about like, so a friend of mine works in the medical field as well in Jersey as a, um, as an LPN. And she was telling me a story about one night she was working late night and like her, like, like five or six hours in the ER was, basically all overdoses all and most of them were all um what's the f- fentanyl i think it was fentanyl yeah fentanyl absolutely um which is such a i mean it's so, so brutal we often hear about like these this this epidemic of sorts yeah. um what do you think is like one of the key factors that is driving 
this crisis and how, like, what can we do? Yeah, what, what really insightful question, uh, Darren, and it's um, it's a little complex, but I, we really need to talk about this. So I'm so glad you brought it up. Right now, over the last few years, since really COVID, we saw drug overdoses skyrocket. And look, the mm. opioid epidemic, this was an epidemic before COVID. So imagine when this novel coronavirus emerges. We don't, we in the scientific and medical community have never seen a virus act quite like this. And it caused all these, it was not your typical respiratory virus at all, right? It caused strokes, it caused heart disease, it caused GI problems, it caused clots. Like, what is going on? And mm. so as a result, and people were getting infected, and as you know, living in the New York, New Jersey area, New York was so heavily hit early on in yeah. um, April 2020. Do you remember we had a time oh, when yeah. we had trucks as morgues? Freezer trucks. It was, I remember that. I mean, I'm like, it's like we were living in a third world country, which is kind of insulting to developing countries that the yeah. richest country in the world, by the way, doesn't have better, um, you know, bu bu public health responses and whatnot. A different story. But getting back to COVID and how, you know, and so what did the public health community put in these measures to shut down, lock down until we can get a better grasp of what's going on? And so, but as a result of that, I mean, a lot of people really struggled to this day, yeah. you know, this sense of isolation, being disrupted, canceled social events, sporting events, entertainment, work, family. I mean, a very common saying in the addiction community is the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And when that mm. connection gets disrupted, as it did during COVID, uh, just badness basically happens. So we know that loneliness, isolation, um, disrupted social connections, these are all risk factors for using drugs, escalation and drugs and alcohol, um, addiction, overdose addiction, um, fatal overdoses, as well as a lot of mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, mm. uh, and suicide. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not surprised that we are seeing a rise in drug overdose. And by the way, it's polysubstance. I know we're talking about opioids uh, justifiably because it's such a quick, it can be a quick respiratory depression and kill you. But mm. the truth is that we're seeing a rise in stimulants like cocaine, methamphetamines, um, benzodiazepines, um, and, and, and alcohol. And what's interesting is that we're seeing a rise in alcohol among women um, and alcohol related complications and mortality. It's a big problem and a big issue. So um, yeah, I, I, so I'm not surprised. And fentanyl is a, a very potent uh, opioid. So when we say that we use the word opioids, we're talking about medications like oxycodone, Percocet, Vicodin, but we're also talking about what we call street drugs like heroin, um, which can be you know used, injected or snorted. And then now we're seeing a rise in fentanyl. A lot of these um, uh, dealers and lab people who have like special labs, they are creating um, fentanyl, what we call street fentanyl, and they're kind of contaminating existing drug sources. So I have patients who say, oh, doc, I never use fentanyl. I only use, say, cocaine or I only use um, certain other drugs. But right. when you when you drug test them, fentanyl is in their system. And it's because fentanyl, you have to assume it's everywhere. And it's yes. so 
potent. You just need a small amount, and it really increases your risk of an overdose. It's insane because, like, yes, like um, every time you hear like a, some like a, a some well-known personality who ends up like they say OD. Yeah, I almost always go. You, I'll guarantee you, was fentanyl related, and yeah. almost every single time. And, and I don't. I, to your point, I don't think it was that they were taking fentanyl. I think they were, they were doing something that they thought they were comfortable with. Yep. But they, you can never be comfortable with this with street not, drugs, not especially. Anymore. Not anymore. You're absolutely right, Darren. My own patients told me, you know, dog, I've been using the same amount that I always have been for years. And now suddenly um, I use the same amount and I, I just I got knocked out. Right. In other words, they they got lethargic. And, you know, so opioids really act on your lungs, on your respiratory system and really sh slowly shut it down. And if you mm. take too much or something that's really potent, in other words, a small amount can have dramatic effects. It can have like lethal consequences, but I don't want your viewers, your listeners, Darren, to think, oh my God, this is so terrible and horrible. It's right. not. We actually know how to address this, particularly with opioid use disorder, opioid addiction. We have really good medications. We have behavioral therapies. So we just need to get people connected to care. Once mm. they're connected, data is very clear. People, most people once with an addiction, once connected to the appropriate treatment and recovery, get recovery services get better but that's yeah. just not happening and of the 40 million americans with a substance use disorder or a, a drug or alcohol addiction only about 10 percent are accessing treatment and, and a major barrier is stigma and lack of education but let me tell you darren if you ever said to me well dr roy only 10 percent of your patients with diabetes are getting treatment not only would i i get sued for malpractice i would lose my medical license Oh, with the 10% for with addiction, oh, we seem to be okay with it because we still label people who use drugs, whether they have an addiction or not, um, as, a, as it being a moral failing or a moral weakness, right? right. We think, that, you know, when really we know it's a brain disease, it's an actual um, the medical or health condition, but we got it and we got to start treating it that way. Yeah, we need to we need to start humanizing the the the, the situation and and um, I've realized. Look, alcohol uh, addiction is a disease. Dr yeah. Drug addiction is a disease. They're diseases. That these people need help with, and we need yeah. to be more caring and more con to your point connected, um, yeah. because you know, like I always tell people, like look. There are people who have no, um, they're not addicted to drugs or alcohol. Maybe soda is something that they, they can't get enough. Imagine how hard it is for that person to give up just something as simple as a can of soda. Yep. Just as simple as a can, as, as a, a can of soda. And multiply that times a thousand. Yep. And then, then throw a bunch of hurdles in their way at the same time. And by the, we're, right now we're talking about like addiction, like specifically substance addiction, right? right? Like drugs, alcohol, cocaine, cigarettes, but there's many other types of addiction, right? right. Um, what about this devices, right? Devices, oh, phone, yeah. right? social media, um, other, there's other behavioral addictions, right? So gambling, pornography, work, food. Yep. So,
people can really get addicted to anything. I, I sometimes joke around that uh, I'm addicted to chocolate or sweets. I love it. Smash <laughs> right. a sweet tooth. Kind of like you were using the example. Like if anyone told me, all right, Lippy, you got to quit chocolate, I, I, I would get palpitations, right? Like, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 don't take away my, my Hershey's Kit Kat bars. Um, <laughs> no, man, don't do that. I'm going to get violent. My Canadian in me will get violent. Uh, but, but the, the truth is, I mean, I know as late, you know, in the lay community, everyday language, we joke around, oh, I'm addicted to this, I'm addicted to that. But there's an actual definition for what is an addiction. Mm. I mean, I joke that I'm addicted to chocolate, but I'm really not because an addiction by definition means any type of either a substance use or a behavior that adversely impairs your day-to-day life. So right. yeah, I might eat chocolate, but I don't eat it to the degree where I can't pay my bills. I'm not right. showing up for work. I have like, you know, uh, uh, malfunctioning relationships with my family. You know what I mean? Um, right. People who, d- so just most people who use drugs in this country, Darren, do so recreationally. They will never go on to develop an addiction. So let's just get that fact out of right. the way. Um, but for those who do, it's about maybe 1% to 5% go on to develop addiction. And those are usually people with either a strong genetic or family history or people who have um, certain risk factors, pain, trauma. That could include unemployment, divorce, um, food insecurity. We saw a lot of that, by the way, during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are all risk factors that can lead to pain and suffering and trauma. Uh, and when we live in a society or if we're in a family or in a, an environment where you're not getting the appropriate treatment and support, you will use substances, drink, do things that will uh, relieve your, your, your self-medicate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, um, so... You said something earlier that was one to touch on the stigma, right? This yeah. stigma of, and um, what what role do you think um, stigma plays in preventing people from uh, seeking help for addiction? And how do you think we can reduce that stigma? I'm so glad you asked that because every single talk that I give, and I give lots and lots of presentations and, and, and just speeches, lectures uh, on topics related to addiction, health, mental illness, stress. I always talk about stigma. And hmm. the reason is because, you know, according to the World Health Organization, drug addiction is the most stigmatized social problem. Notice I didn't hmm. say a health problem, social problem. That means drug addiction is more stigmatized than incarceration, poverty, homelessness. Um, so we have a steep uphill climb here. And just so we're totally clear, stigma, what does that really, really mean? You can just translate that to stigma, meaning harm. Stigma is really any type of behavior or attitude that's socially discrediting. And as I said, like of the 40 million or so Americans with a a drug or alcohol addiction or substance disorder, only 10% are getting treatment. And stigma is a major barrier to getting treatment and care. Um, And I'll tell you, I'll share with you and your listeners a very simple and effective way of reducing stigma. And that's by changing our vocabulary. So Hmm. studies show, and by the way, just so your listeners know, none of this is Lippy's opinion. All of this is rooted in science. We have data, science experiments to show that when we use 
stigmatizing, punitive, tough language like you're a drug abuser, you have substance abuse issues, the war on drugs, or your urine is dirty, or uh, you're an addict, alcoholic, lush, um, dopehead, cokehead. We have, think about it, Darren, we have no shortage of derogatory terms that we use to label people who have clearly have this brain condition, a brain disease. So when we use this kind of language, patients or people with a, a, a drug or alcohol addiction, they are less likely to seek help and they're more likely to perceive discrimination. And by the way, healthcare professionals like me, when we hear or use that type of stigmatizing language, we label people as manipulative. Oh, they're violent. They're aggressive. They're less motivated. And we spend less time in clinic with them. All of that adding up to suboptimal care. In mm. contrast, Studies show that when we use less stigmatizing and more compassionate language, like this is a person with a substance use disorder or a person with substance use issues, your urine is positive. Um, it, studies show that it, it improves the therapeutic relationship between the patient and the doctor, patient, therapist, whoever, caregiver, and people are more likely to seek care. Um, and by the way, it's I had such an aha moment when I recognized that my patients with diabetes who have, might have a high, very high blood sugar or blood glucose level, uh, high in their urine, I've never said to them, oh, uh, Mr. Jenkins, your your urine is dirty with sugar. Um, right. Nor have I ever said um, your, your, your sugar is high because you've been abusing um, Haagen-Dazs ice cream, right? I mean, in that case, I was abusing Ben and Jerry's last night, right? Um, <laughs> and, and the ice cream, not the men. <laughs> Right? But think about it. Think about that kind of double standard, right? Mm. The reason we don't use that kind of negative, punitive, stigmatizing language is because we don't stigmatize people with diabetes the way we stigmatize right. people with addiction. And that needs to change. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, the society in itself is just uh, often like, um, very um, judgmental, yeah. Um, and we need to think. We need to, like, as a whole, need to stop being so judgmental. Yeah. But I also think within certain cultures, um, because of historical, like we, different how different cultures talk to each other, yeah. um, that can be an impediment as well um, towards, you know good mental health, yes. good physical health, you know. So I'm always I'm a big proponent of, you know, having conversations, even yeah. if they're uncomfortable, um, especially, especially, to be honest, especially if they're uncomfortable. Because yeah. in the most, in our most uncomfortable times, the best truths are told. Well, let me tell you something. You really hit the nail on the head there, Darren, because in the addiction community, what we're really trying to do, what we recognize is that the only way to move the needle forward is through science and storytelling, right? So notice, I remember I said earlier that none of this is my opinion. It's all rooted in science. I just don't think the vast majority of the public, hell, even the medical profession, don't know the data, the science to support 
evidence-based treatment for mm. people with addiction and mental illness. I think mental illness, it's, that awareness is getting better, but not <laughs> to the same degree. So I think education through sharing stories and science and more and more people, you know, sharing their stories of recovery. I just came back from Chicago where I spoke at the She Recovers Symposium to an audience of women I would say 100% of whom almost were in recovery and working with people that are in recovery or trying to achieve recovery. Um, we need more brave people to speak out and say, hey, look, yeah, I had an addiction. I had a problem. But look, I got medications. I got therapy. I got support. I went to AA, NA, whatever. I got the help that I need. And now I lead a very functional, healthy, productive life, just like you and me. So we need to get those stories out. And you were talking about certain cultures, people. I'll tell you, if you think the stigma is high within the general population, it's even worse within certain ethnic communities, right. black and brown communities. I'm a daughter of Indian immigrants in the Indian South Asian communities. Do you think we talk about this? Do you, do you think we talk about depression and alcohol addiction. My own uncle died of a really severe alcoholism years ago. Do you think he ever got treatment? Never even acknowledged that he had a problem. It's right. really heartbreaking. But I, I think there are a lot of families out there who everyone knows somebody, right, uh, with some type of addiction. It could be cigarettes, alcohol, yeah. other behaviors, gambling, right. right? So let's give people the care that they need and deserve, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I was looking on your um, website, and you've interviewed multiple celebrities. Yeah. I mean, just to name a few, Mary J. Blige, Angela Bassett, Alonzo Mourning. I mean, I think I, what I like about our current um, time is that celebrities and personalities have started to make their stories more publicly known. Yeah. And I think it, it, I think that has helped a great deal because we're such an, we, we're such an, like human beings are this animal that we do tend to look to the leader for guidance and for example. Yeah. And so a lot of celebrities and personalities are looked towards as these people that as experts, even they may not be, but yeah. when you when they are able to show share their stories, it makes us feel like, huh, if they're doing it. Yep. I, you know, I could do it too. Well, you're absolutely right, Darren. As somebody who knows the media and entertainment industry as well as you do, I mean, this is a topic that's really relevant to both of us. And I think many of our, our viewers and our, our, our followers, whatever, our networks, our platforms, um, this is something that I became very interested in uh, professionally really over the last several years. Look, at the, end of the I'm at, at the heart of it, I, I'm just a fan. I'm a fan mm. of television, movies, and music. I yep. really... I love it. I always have. Uh, and I still do. But now what I've come to recognize is, first of all, just how blessed I am to have the medical training that I have and the unique clinical experiences. I've worked in homeless shelters and Rikers Jail. I've worked at COVID isolation quarantine sites, like hotels that be, have become health centers during the pandemic. So I'm really, really blessed. 
And so what I want to do is leverage that medical training and unique experiences into other industries that are really powerful and influential, like entertainment and media. Um, A, because I, I want to leverage their power and platform um, to for my own mission, which is my mission is to educate and empower the public to make healthy decisions through three key bucket areas, addiction awareness, um, mindfulness, and nutrition all of which are connected, by the way, uh, and just re reducing stress and stress-related uh, conditions. But I want to do so with um, industries that are, not only are they powerful and influential, like entertain the entertainment industry, but they are also directly affected, um, not only by uh, addiction. I'll, I'll get back to that, but let's use Mary J. Blige as an example. Um, her team came to me because Mary J was on a uh, partnered uh, with a campaign to address breast cancer screening among black women. And now that's a language I can speak. I I am no R&B global superstar like she is. <laughs> but she and I truly share a passion in being healthy and using our platforms and our uh, trainings, experiences to educate and empower other people, especially people who are maybe a bit more voiceless, uh, who just don't have the same information, maybe a, more oppression, less education. And of course, Black women, Latino women, uh, Native American, you name it. I'm right. saying women, but men, of course, as well, from marginalized right. communities. So Mary J's team, I mean, and by the way, can I just tell you, um, and her fans are so going to love this, she could not have been nicer. I got to meet oh. her virtually and in person. So just down to earth, exactly what you would want Mary J. Blige to be. But yeah, that's an example of where I believe in partnerships, you know, and um, in order to, because my mission is really, it's to educate and empower the public to be healthier. So, but you know, I also believe that coming back to the addiction piece, I mean, you and I, again, working in, in the fields that we do, I mean, you, we both know a lot of people that are no longer here today yes. because they've sadly succumbed to um, their addiction, their drug yes. overdose. They had a fatal uh, overdose, unintentional. There's also th those that are intentional and suicide. That's different. Um, that also needs to be addressed. But look, I have a. There's a laundry list, right? Dating back to say Judy Garland, um, to more recent example, oh, and then of course like. Um, uh, 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 Oh my God, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Um, and then more recent examples, Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters, uh, Kurt Cobain before that. Um, there's just no, sadly, no shortage. Chris Cornell from one of my favorite bands, Soundgarden, um, yeah. Juice World. I appeared on Tamron Hall. Tamron's somebody who really talks about people that are struggling. But I got to tell you, as a, as a doctor, it really makes me angry because I know that these conditions are they're preventable and they're treatable. What about Prince and Whitney Houston? Yeah. I'm also angry as a fan because I'm sick and tired of seeing some of my favorite artists and musicians and actors die. So this is why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, Darren. This is why I started a company. I, I really want all industries, particularly entertainment, media, the financial uh, sector, these Wall Street guys, they have money, guys, girls, um, they lead really high pressure lives yeah. They're not getting the treatment that they need and deserve. And I, I just think that needs to change. Yeah, no, I, I'm on board for all of that because I like him. I'm, I too am tired of seeing my favorite artists. I'm like what? He, wait, what? He, how, you know, right? like too soon. 
too soon, way too soon. Way too soon. Um, your show that you have on YouTube. Yeah. First of all, I think it's brilliant. It's fantastic. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. That's a lot of work, but you already know how much work it takes. <laughs> yes, yes. That's why I said, because I'm like, as I was going through, I was just like, man, she must be so busy. <laughs> but what yeah. I like is how you, like each episode, you use like different themes and different to kind of bring you know, bring certain subjects up and talk about certain. You had one that was um, Movie Monday, which I thought was, of course, that's right up my alley. I was just like, all right. I know. <laughs> um, I, I love, and then Funny Funny Fridays actually one that I really wanted to talk to you about because I've always been a big believer that, you know, like some people will ask me sometimes, they'll ask, you know, how old I am because they think, They'll say I look younger or whatever, and they're like, what, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing anything. But you know what it is? is because I don't take life overly seriously. Yep. I try to inject humor into everything that I do. Yep. And um, I think that matters. I think it totally is um, – it, 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 it can change everything for you. It, uh, one – thousand percent in fact so yeah i i, I now re release episodes on fridays um almost like maybe every other friday on my youtube show called health humor and harmony and at the end of every episode i end with a joke uh hmm. it's a funny it's a dorky joke even if they're laughing at me even if they're groaning i know that they're smiling right so <laughs> Even and honestly, Darren, like all the talks that I give around the country, I just came back from Chicago, as I said. And prior to that, I at the end of um, the summer, I was actually in Denmark and Poland, mostly vacation. But I also spoke in Copenhagen and Krakow. But I started with every presentation with a joke. And um, I firmly believe there's a reason why the motto laughter is the best medicine exists. And again, there's data to show, science shows that when you laugh, it releases these happy hormones. Uh, it releases endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin. These are hormones um, that are either released from your brain or other parts of your body that reduce cortisol, the stress hormone. And it's just been shown to really um, uh, impact your health in a positive way. We also have studies showing that happy people live longer. So mm. and I guarantee you those happy people are laughing more than the unhappy people. Yes. Um, so I, you know, it's funny. I am. Um, uh, you know, my talks, if you think about it, like on paper, I talk about a lot of dark topics. I talk about drugs and overdose and pain, sexual abuse, trauma. But let me tell you, nobody ever leaves any of my talks feeling down and depressed. Hell no. I'm hmm. I'm sharing jokes. I'm sharing personal stories. I'm I'm positive. I'm hopeful. I end with a hopeful slide. Inspiration. Just talk to anybody who's go gone to any of my talks or watched the videos. Um, I firmly believe in the sense of hope and positivity and laughter, no matter how tough and dark. And again, I'm not trivializing the pain and the trauma and the stresses right. in our life, but I'll tell you, Dan, when I come home after a long day, stressful day, lots of meetings, challenging clinical issues, patients, I plop my butt on the sofa and I watch 
I don't even like saying mindless comedy because I think it's, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I think there's such value in watching say big bang theory or the late show tonight show, whatever, uh, watching stand up comedy specials. Um, I, I, I personally find it truly therapeutic. Yeah. I, I, I could not agree with you more. I, I think um, like I, I, since um, 2003, I've ended every single day by watching Seinfeld. <laughs> Literally, awesome. it's the last thing I do before I go to bed at night. Every night doesn't matter. Because, and you know, it's you know, I you know, it's not my. You're right. It's not mindless. It's what I think it is. Is um, sometimes the brain just needs a needs to have something positive, yet not to. Um, uplifting yeah nothing super jarring just something that's going to leave it in a better place than it was you know the other day you know and um and i think also for me darren like when i come home like uh or after a long day of just working i i just need to decompress yeah and we all do and i don't for me yeah it's watching tv it's watching things that are funny and entertaining it could be for some people listening to music it could be reading it could be doing puzzles I'm playing piano, I have a piano, well. music, dancing, whatever. I encourage people, by the way, and also every talk uh, on tips for self-care because, hey man, I completely burned out during the pandemic and um, I utilize certain self-care tools. And so I share that and all the things I just said, you know, making sure you, you hydrate, um, doing yeah. things you enjoy, mindful practice like meditation, um, but, you know, find things that that relax you because it's truly key for for self-preservation and health you know i tell people all the time you look your your body is a machine yep really it's a machine it's literally a machine and how you treat it how you maintain it um will go a long way toward the length and happiness of your life no question um, and it's not just about what you eat. It's about the energy of person that you kind of feed it and all of the, you know, so and it sounds hokey, It's you know, but it's not, it's, it's not, I'm, you know, you see some of the people who've been on this earth past a hundred, I almost every last one of them will tell you that the key to happiness is to be able to laugh and not take, not take things too seriously. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up as well. The Centenarians, there's a, a book called The Blue Zones, where Dan Buettner talks about he literally has gone to these countries um, and, and regions where they have the most centenarians, people who live to over 100. Um, Sardinia, Italy is one of them. Mm. Okinawa, Japan. I think yeah. the only place in the United States was at Loma Linda, California, Costa Rica. And what he found, there were several key common features but one of them was a sense of um social connection so think about it in our society when people as people get older we kind of like set them aside push them aside put them in nursing homes ah we, we kind of ignore them right oh the crazy old person we right. kind of just don't really pay them the respect that they they've clearly earned you know um but not in these other societies like in okinawa japan boy let me tell you the most revered person in that community 
is a person that's 114 years old. Wouldn't you want to hear stories from them, right? And advice and wisdom. So they are respected. There's a strong sense of social connection. They, I guarantee you, they laugh. They enjoy life through good food exercise, walking. You don't have to run a freaking marathon. You can just do a little bit of activity every single day. Uh, it'll reap benefits. I promise you. Um, and yeah, I, as I said, do things that you enjoy. Don't take life too seriously. And when life does get tough and hard, make sure you get the help that you need, get support, ask for help. There is no shame in this, especially for like really high achieving, successful people like, like you and me. And, you know, we tend not to ask for help because we expect to know all the answers and we get embarrassed. Uh, but no, no, man, I'm telling you, we got more <laughs> than anything, got to ask for help because if we don't, it's to our own detriment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had to get better with that, to be honest. I, I'll, I'll admit that I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm so that guy. But I've gotten, I think, uh, in my, you know, older I've gotten, I've gotten, I've kind of started to realize, you know what? It, you know, like asking for help is not a crime. It's, it's really not a crime. And not only is it not a crime, it's a necessity. Yeah. I mean, why struggle on your own when you can get the help and get, that you need and just, Move, pro progress, you know. So, um, exactly. who 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 has been your the most influential person in your in your in life, and how did they impact you? God, that's such a good question. I mean, the, the simplest uh, response to that uh, would probably be my my dad and my mom. Um, you know, they when I think back. You know, I, I say like they made a lot of sacrifices, but when I recently brought that up to my mom, she's like, oh, I don't think it was sacrifices. We just saw it as our duty. And now when I look back, it's not like, you know, they emigrated from India to Canada. They didn't know a soul. They came to, a, it was a pretty cold climate. Um, but you know what? They, they just, my mom and dad both, by the way, they had an arranged marriage. They didn't know each other, arranged mm. marriage. And this August would have been their 53rd wedding anniversary. Sadly, my, my dad passed away in March of this year. But to, again, a testament to my dad. He lived till 89. Mm. He had died of complications of heart failure. But the year, several years leading up to that, he was the first person to say, oh, no, I, I've had a great life. I, I've lived a great life. And in the eulogy that I delivered, by the way, the hardest speech I've ever written, I said that. I ended with that note saying, look, here's a guy, Salish Shroy was his name, emigrated from India to Canada, didn't know a soul. But, you know, he had a job, pension, house, two condos, wife of 52 years, successful children. What more can you ask for from life? Yeah. Right? And by yeah. the way, that entire temple or church where we had it, um, filled with his friends, friends of him and my mom's, um, friends that they had known for 40 to 50 years. I mean, mm. if that isn't a testament to how one lives one's life. My dad, look, when I was younger, he was pretty strict, mom and dad both. They were disciplinarians. They want us to do well in school, study, be, you know, live pretty disciplined lives. But we were also very active in like swimming lessons and chess and whatever sports i you know uh soccer volleyball all of that piano lessons so they we were very very active and we got to travel go to england florida india you name it so 
I, I bring this up because years later, when I became a doctor to homeless individuals and at Rikers Jail, I, a lot of my patients who were then experiencing addiction and, and, uh, and, and mental illness, almost all of them, not all, but almost all of them had a history of pain, trauma, mm. abusive families, um, disjointed families, divorce, um, you name it. They had uh, many of those, uh, what we call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. And clearly studies show that the more ACEs you have as a child or adolescent teenager, um, the higher your risk for developing a drug or alcohol addiction, a substance use disorder, mental illness, unemployment, lower education. So looking back at my own life, I just, I just re- recognize, especially as I've been getting older, just how blessed I was. Uh, and 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 am today in large part because of the environment um, in which I was raised, and and that's in large part because of my mother and my father. Oh, that's that's awesome. I mean, yeah, that is definitely your father got it done. He he got it done, man. I mean, that's that is that is, oh, I think a wonderful experience for it, you know, and to, to, you know, I always say look at you, like life is tough, man. Like life is, life is not an easy thing. And I think that's part of why I say you, we got to be kinder to each other and less judgmental and all these things, because it's very tough for you, for a person and to your, you know, you're saying if you have all these different aces, then that just adds up. So yeah. You know, let's just be nice to each other, you know? just. I mean, it, what you're saying, Darren, it just sounds like such common sense, right? Yes. But I'll share with you a lesson that a, a former attending of mine taught me when I was in medical school. Um, he said to all of us uh, first-year students before we were about to walk in the room to see a patient, he said, so when you walk in, just say hello and introduce yourself. And I'm like, um, looking around, I'm like, isn't that common sense? Common sense. And you know what he said? He's like, oh, Lippy, you'll discover soon enough that common sense just isn't that common. <laughs> yeah, and, that's true. You know, and what is so obvious to you and me, Darren, it's just, it's not that people don't understand that, but I think because life is tough and we're stressed, um, we're, we're mistreated, um, black and brown people, women, we, we have bad moments, bad days, and we kind of forget and we become abrupt. And, hey, man, I live in New York City. I'm mm-hmm. going to be intentional about being taking a step back, becoming patient, taking a deep breath. Yep. This city will just tear you to the ground. Yep. Man. Yep. <laughs> so I have to be very intentional about just being respectful, being patient. Now that doesn't mean taking abuse, but right. it also yeah. just means if somebody say when I'm, I don't know, at some coffee shop or some store and the cashier is just having, giving me an attitude, I just have to remind myself, you know, that person may just be having a really bad day. Right. Maybe they were just given their two week notice. I, it, tons of things could have happened. Right. right? right. So I just try not to jump in, and I just like, all right, let, you know, you can't control other people, but you sure as hell can control how you conduct yourself. So yeah, I try absolutely. to live by that motto. Absolutely. What was uh, what's been the best piece of advice that you ever gotten? Who gave it to you? Uh, several, and especially now that I'm launching a business, um, uh, but getting a really um, astute advice. Uh, one of them 
uh, I'll, I'll share that's coming to mind is um, try hard to not burn any bridges, even from people who who you might feel have wronged you. Um, uh, you just and not because something positive may come out of it, but just because it's it's just the right thing to do, mm. um, and because you it's, you just never know when. Um, a door will open unexpectedly um, because you treated somebody in a civil and respectful manner, even when every instinct in you <laughs> wanted yeah. to fight against that, right? Um, and uh, just another lesson, really, and advice. Again, going back to my mom and dad, like, always be respectful because in, certainly in Hinduism, we believe in, in karma, um, you know, be good in this lifetime, you'll be reborn in a right. better way the next lifetime. Yeah. And also, I was raised to believe that there's a god or goddess in every single person you meet. And that person can be an avatar for a, a, a deity, a god or goddess. So, so there's a, a lot of reasons to just, to your point, Darren, which you've just said, let's just be kind to one another, kind and respectful. You can disagree with someone, no problem there, but you can disagree in a respectful way, right? It's so funny too. Um, this to me kind of showed me how, not pessimistic, but maybe, Cynical. I don't know what the word is, but one day I was walking, um, it was raining and I was, I went to the supermarket and I was um, walking on my way back home. And as I'm walking, there's this little old lady. She has this shopping cart that she's pushing up. She gets to her building and the building has like these steps up in front. So I see her trying to pull it up. So I just, I open up the gate, I walk over and I grab it and I pick it up and put it in, put it in the hallway for her. And she looked at me like, what? Why? Why would you do that? What is like, your problem? What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, like I was like she. It really caught her off guard. But she's like, "Oh, uh, thank you. You didn't have to do that." And I'm like, "What was I supposed to do? Let you? Like, I, I, I'm like the person. Like, I can't possibly see any benefit of me walking past that person in need." Like, like hundreds of other people probably have, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it's, you know, I don't say these things to, yeah, you know, I look what I did. I just right. say, I'm just, I tell people these stories because maybe it will, they'll go, hmm, maybe next time I'll do that. Or maybe, you know, just some, sometimes you ever go to like, I don't know if you ever, this has ever happened to you, where I've gone to a Starbucks. And go to buy a coffee, and the woman goes, "Oh, someone paid for it already. You, you pay for." I've done it a few times, but the feeling you've gotten after that is that you like, yeah, that you know, that's cool. Let, let me do that. You know, I think leading by examples is some of the best way of people to kind of do things. Um, you know, and I try to do it. 
Well, let me tell you, Darren, just that small gesture that you did for that lady, you probably have no idea. Well, you saw that initial shock, but yeah. you have no idea really how much that impacted her. I, yeah. I And studies show that when we, um, uh, just small acts of kindness, of generosity, whether it be opening a door, picking up something that somebody dropped, um, say, oh, hey, you've left your phone here. Um, right giving somebody, say, uh, sharing an umbrella during a rainy day, whatever, yep. countless things that are completely free, by the way, right. um, that you can just, these small gestures, small in quotes, that actually have profound effects on people. Again, especially, I mean, to your point, what we were discussing earlier in our conversation, people are really struggling right now. They yeah. are really struggling. You know, the U.S. Surgeon General's report, loneliness is the new epidemic. The drug overdose is skyrocketing. All the things that we've talked about, they are all related. Um, but another thing that we can do, we talked about science and storytelling. Well, both of them kind of combine to just the act of kindness. Yes. Random acts of kindness. Tennessee Williams said this uh, beautifully in one of his stories about the, the, the kindness of strangers, right? Yes. When you just do that for somebody, and actually studies show that when you, the person is doing something kind, they feel good too, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it makes you feel better, right? I'm, I'm sure you didn't do it because, oh, I want to feel good. I'm macho. I mean, <laughs> no, you didn't do that. I totally did. But you know, I mean, you did it because you're just a genuinely good guy. And it really didn't take that much for you to do that. That in that in the what, 30 seconds that it took you to do that, right. you had a profound positive impact on another human being who's gonna remember that. Yeah, and you never know, like a like a pebble in the into the water, the ripples of you know. Right. You know, so I, what I would love to do, and there's no way ever doing it, but I would love to be able to figure a way of watching those ripples happen. You know what I mean? Like that would be, I feel like that would be a fascinating study. Oh yeah. I, I think I, I don't want to quote other people, but I think studies like that have kind of been done, but you can't really truly do uh, studies like that. But what's that expression or proverb maybe a, um, about when a butterfly flaps its wings in, say, China, you feel it across the other side of the world, right? The butterfly um, effect, yeah. Exactly, right? So we we have data to show that, that butterfly effect, but wouldn't you love to see that like like, I don't know, like like on a dollar bill and writing your initials or writing some cool kind of phrase and then putting it out into the world and seeing where it goes. I don't know, stuff like that. It's kind of cool to me. Yeah, no, I think that would be fascinating to me. Yeah. You know, donating, you know, giving giving a homeless man $5 and then seeing where that, do that $5 ends up. Yeah. You know, that would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's another example of just giving my, like I now give maybe a dollar a couple of few times a week to somebody who's on the streets. Uh, but you know what, when I took, cause I've taken care of home, the homeless population, what they, what I asked them, like, what is it that you would want the most? Well, you would want the public to know, you know, cause when you're out asking for money on the street peddling and, you know, and they're like, honestly, it's, it's not even money. I, we just don't, I just don't want to be invisible. Like, right. so now what I do, when somebody asks for money, either I'll, I'll give it or I'll say, I'm so sorry, I don't have any, uh, but I'll smile and I'll say, I'm so sorry, I apologize, but have a good day, okay? And yeah. they'll be, 
None, none of them say, oh, you're such a jerk. You're such an a-hole. They're like, no worries. Thank you. They, they thank me. You know, so most of the people that are on the streets, I, I just smile. I make eye contact. I smile. I might say, hey, how are you? You doing okay? And then I keep, you know, they just don't want to feel invisible. Everyone yeah. wants to be respected, right? I gave them the truth. I'll talk, if I don't have money, I will explain. I will like, look, I honestly don't have anything. Or I will say, um, look, I look, I won't give you money, but come with me and I'll take them and buy them food. Yeah. I'm like, and, and I often ask, I'm like, hey, I, I don't have money, but hey, I have a banana. And I ask them, would you want, I don't want right. to presume that they want my food, right? right? I don't want to presume that. But I'll ask, I, I have this, this, I have. I might have an extra can of beverage or whatever. And I'll, I'll ask and they'll, some of them will say, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, okay, no problem. And then others are like, yeah, sure. Right. So Again, I, act of, I, if you want to call it generosity, but I think it's an act of acknowledgement right. of another human being, you know? Of another human being. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? What, what do you have, what are you working on? Yeah. So, um, I'm tomorrow, I'm, tonight, I'm working on my presentation that I'm giving this Thursday in North Dakota. Um, mm. Governor Burgum and his wife, First Lady Catherine Burgum invited me to deliver, uh, one of their, their keynotes, uh, speeches at their the recovery reinvented conference uh in uh, uh, in north dakota i'm very very excited and honored That's awesome. Yeah. And then um, next week, I'll be get, doing a, a, a full day workshop in Atlanta, Georgia, to um, uh, uh, criminal defense uh, folks in law enforcement about uh, addiction medicine. Um, and then, gosh, I think there's something else that I'm forgetting. But and then, uh, and then oh, in November at Westchester, uh, uh, residential opportunities, I'll be speaking about mental illness and housing. So I just feel so blessed. And I'm always seeking more um, speaking opportunities. So if any of your viewers out there, if their organizations or workplaces need uh, like a dynamic, fun, cool speaker to talk about health and public health, please let me know. I've got a lot of media experience as well. So I'm a, I, I constantly hone my public speaking skills and my upcoming YouTube shows don't miss out on that one of them will be i interview um you remember the the show sopranos and sigler she played meadow the daughter i got to interview her about her journey with multiple sclerosis that'll be coming up i've also interviewed um uh celebrity chef michelle bernstein and i think the one that i'm perhaps maybe the most excited about i got to interview rapper ice tea oh um, nice yeah, man he could not be cooler more fun <laughs> it's just funny badass uh but the boy the man knows about vaccines and the flu vaccine mm. and so on a promotion to uh, campaign to promote flu vaccines so again perfect example of somebody somebody of color um who uh just wants to do good by people and share his story and uh i will do my part in sharing that story so uh, stay tuned for that have your uh viewers of uh, uh, Listeners, uh, subscribe to my channel, YouTube channel for free, and uh, check out my my website, sitamedllc.com. Oh my God, you are so busy! But let me <laughs> tell you, I'm so happy that you come came on the show. You 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 have a sunshine around you that is like so amazing, and um, you're like one of the nicest people that I've come oh. across in quite some time. And I wish you all the success in the world. And definitely, people, you, if you haven't gone to her YouTube channel, we will include the information in the comments below um, so that way people can find you and, and absorb your knowledge and your radiance. 
Oh my God, Darren, you've totally made my day. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm going to stifle back tears here. Um, <laughs> and the folks, uh, and if your listeners, I, I, they can also follow me on, on, on Twitter or X at Lippy Roy and on Instagram and TikTok at Lippy Roy MD. Uh, I always listen to comments and I, I try to respond as much as possible. And for YouTube, please make comments. I read and listen to uh, all of them. So if you have like story ideas, health stories that you want to talk about cover, just let me know. I might have one for you. What's that? Uh, sickle cell. <gasps> um, I did talk about it before, but I will absolutely talk about it again because it's something that it's a topic that's just massive and it's under discussed. I will definitely st stay tuned for that, Darren. Happily, we'll talk about that. Cool. Because I just heard something like some there's a new medic medic medics medicine on the market that's so. Oh, my best friend passed away from sickle cell. That's why my my yeah. my interest is there because I, I I always kind of pay attention here here and there to see where their advances are because um, his interest was in trying to fo push forward the um, advocates for um, sickle cell anemia research and well, I'm sure he'd be happy that you know. Yeah, well, let me tell you, it's such a great topic. And one of my dearest friends from Toronto, we went to undergrad together. She's a hematologist and transfusion expert in in uh, in Toronto. She's the one that actually that told me about this new sickle cell innovation uh, and therapeutics. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. I will I'll, I will definitely talk about that soon. Yay! Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for the opportunity. It was great seeing you. And keep up your great work, too, my friend. Thank you so much. And everyone, please follow me um, on Instagram at the, the Darren Jenkins, Facebook, X, Twitter. I can't get used to saying X, man. No, right? I still say Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> X, um, TikTok. I'm everywhere. You'll find me. Um, we're... Follow, please make sure you like, subscribe, and follow. Drop the Mic is available on all the major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Until next time, this is Darren Jenkins saying please stay positive and stay safe, and we'll see you guys on the next time.